Welcome, all you happy warriors, to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where your rabbi reveals how the world really works. And one of the ways in which the world really works is that there are two parallel realities in almost everything, the physical and the spiritual, the body and the soul. And today we want to talk a little bit about well, something we all do just a teensy-weensy little bit too much. This is a human activity that many of us engage in just a little too wholeheartedly. And what am I talking about? Well, you've already guessed, eating is the topic. That's right. Look, the good Lord gave us basically three strong appetites, sex, money, and food. And they operate very differently. Part of the spiritual roadmap to appetites is that uh, the uh, sex appetite is kind of interesting in that the way it works is that the more it is indulged, the hungrier it gets. The less it is indulged, uh, the more uh, ascetic it gets. Money operates differently. The more it is indulged, the more the appetite grows. The less it is indulged, the more the appetite grows. Makes no difference. The appetite is there all the time. And food is uh, different from each of those preceding ones. With food, the more it is indulged, the less you need for it. In other words, there is such a thing as people say, I'm stuffed. What a terrible expression that is, isn't it? But, but people say that. I'm so full, I couldn't eat another thing. And then you stop eating which is different um, from the appetite for money. Uh, and then, of course, the less, appetite, uh, the less appetite for food is indulged, uh, the hungrier you get, the more you want. So uh, that is the last one of the three that I want to talk about. We humans do tend to overindulge, I suppose, in all three, really, but uh, it's mostly the third one we're going to talk about. Why do we eat more than we should? After all, animals don't. And before you jump in to correct me there, uh, let me clarify that I'm not talking about hibernating bears. Yes, it is true that uh, late summer, autumn and fall, as winter approaches, uh, bears in, well, the only bears I know are in British Columbia and Alaska. And no, I don't know them personally, John. Thank you very much. No, I just, I, I, I'm familiar with them. They will gobble up as much salmon as they possibly can. Why? Because there's going to be a long winter hibernation where they're going to have to, they will survive on the fat that they've stored. Uh, migratory birds eat a lot before they set off on their incredible, inexplicably amazing flights. And so uh, um, humans do for no reason we overeat. Animals uh, do not do it, with the ex possible exception of goldfish. <laughs> if anyone has, in fact, had children try to keep goldfish, if you're not careful, if you give them more than you should, they don't stop when they've had enough, like almost all animals. Uh, they're much more like people. They'll just eat till they die. Um, and and that's exactly what happens there. Now, what, what some of the uh, behavioral biology textbooks say, they say, well, look, human beings uh, just eat more than is good for them because we evolved in conditions of scarcity of food. And so um, 
And so when we get food, we eat a lot of it. So what they're saying is, well, uh, the reason that animals don't overeat is because they're always uh, in a shortage of food. They're in competition with other animals, and um, I, I and and there's, uh, there's 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 never quite enough food. So they don't. I, look, I dismiss that. Having grown up in Africa and having spent um, probably more than my fair share of time watching uh, leopards. Uh, cheetahs, lions, the big cats, and uh, I have seen that after they've had a kill and they eat, they've satiated. They don't. They don't eat more. Um, human beings do. Not in my view, because we evolved in conditions of scarcity. Now I dismiss that explanation for human beings. Uh, the the reason why we will eat too much is because these are appetites. Food is an appetite. And the good Lord gave us the challenge of perfecting ourselves during our time on earth in preparation for the eternal world to come, to which it would be nice to arrive in in some state of improvement over what we are right now. So uh, we're obviously looking at how do we improve ourselves in this area of eating, right? What, What do we do? Well, first thing to note, I think, is that you got to ask yourself why so many young people nowadays suffer from eating disorders that were virtually unknown a generation or two ago. Or, you know, if you, if you certainly want to sort of take it back to 1962, uh, go back and look at the literature of the period. Um, look at the medical stuff if you're interested. No talk. You don't find the stuff about eating disorders. It's same way you never found stuff about peanut allergies, by the way. Different topic for another occasion. Uh, but eating disorders now, very prevalent. Are you absolutely sure that the answer as to why all of a sudden today we do have a proliferation of eating disorders among young people, uh, you sure the answer isn't due to the spiritual desert in which so many young people live today? I mean, let's, let's face it, eating disorders are far more often treated by a psychologist or a psychiatrist than by a nutritionist, because there's a recognition that there is a powerful spiritual dimension to eating. In other words, food and faith do go hand in hand. Look, think about it. Ever since the start of our lives as babies suckling at our mother's breasts, eating has always provided us with not one but two benefits. They are, number one, physical nourishment and sustenance, and number two, spiritual and emotional sustenance. So that's one of the things that we've got to understand about food. Food provides physical nourishment and sustenance, and if you are a materialist, if you are absolutely dedicated to the sacred sacrament of secularism, then you will stop right there. You will say that the only thing that food is for is physical nourishment and sustenance. But as a happy warrior and a regular devotee of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show right here, you will know there's a second aspect to food, spiritual and emotional sustenance. Now, this link between eating and emotion is well studied. There is so much material on this in the medical and psychiatric textbooks. Look, 
we don't have to study those. We can just look at our own lives. Many of us have comfort foods. There are things that when you're feeling down, now you may not necessarily even link it, but your being and your soul summons those kinds of foods. When you're feeling gloomy and you, you know, you then say, you don't say, well, I'm feeling gloomy and miserable and depressed, so therefore I'm going to go and have shepherd's pie. You don't make that connection. That made is made by your software entirely independently for you. But the times you want certain types of food, if you get to know yourself well, and you, you maybe you should even keep a food diary so you really notice, uh, you know, January the 24th, it's breakfast. I feel on top of the world. I'm ready for the day. This is what I had for breakfast. Uh, March the 17th, dinner time. I'm really down for the following reasons. And this is what I, uh, I ate. Yeah, a very helpful technique private just between you and yourself but do that and you start recognizing that you can control what you eat by controlling your emotions we're going to elaborate on that now as we move along so um just just recognize especially by keeping a food diary that gloom and uncertainty are often banished by a meal that fills our hearts as well as our stomachs uh, i'm quite sure that the Records will show that during the first half of 2020, with uh, people enduring the COVID-19 and, uh, and enduring huge social upheaval in cities around the United States of America, the record will show overeating. No question about it. People are putting on weight during this time. They're saying, well, I'm not getting out the same. It's not that. It's that we eat for the comfort to to try and dispel the gloom and the uncertainty that we all feel. So um, there is a, um, uh, a verse, which is the very first commandment that God ever gives to humanity. Have you thought about it? Like, you know, what is the, uh, what is the very first commandment? Well, the very first commandment is in the book of Genesis, and it says, And the Lord God commanded Adam, saying, of every tree of the garden, eat, you must eat. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? What's going on? Well, the thing is that you are looking at an English translation. And the English translation is very specific. The English translation is trying to establish something that makes a modicum of sense. However... Uh, there is, and this is the first time ever, there is a Bible I'm actually recommending. Really, after uh, probably probably 10 years nearly of people asking me, what Bible do you recommend? I am finally able to give Rabbi Daniel Lappin's recommended Bible. Go look for it on my website at youneedarabbi.com and uh, go over to the store, look for Rabbi Daniel Lappin's recommended Bible. On page 7 of that Bible, on page 7, you are going to find exactly the verse we're talking about. 13 lines down, you're going to see the words, and the Lord God commanded Adam, saying, of every tree of the garden you shall surely eat. But that's not what, and here, even though the translation is, you know, as good as one gets these days, it doesn't do what ancient Jewish wisdom intends it to do. So I'm going to let you past the bouncer at the door 
and I'm going to let you in to the very special elite club of people who actually know what the Bible means. And uh, if you look in this uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin's Recommended Bible, page 7, you will actually notice that the two Hebrew words that are being translated as you shall surely eat are actually the same word. And that's why when I translated it, you heard me saying, and the Lord God commanded the Adam saying, of every tree of the garden, you shall eat, you must eat. You know, what's what's going on there? Um, answer, because ancient Jewish wisdom explaining that God's very first explicit directive repeats the verb to eat to tell us to perform two separate and distinct acts with every single mouthful. Do you see where we're going? I'm sure you already catch on. We are to eat for both physical and spiritual reasons. And that way, we extract the full benefit from every morsel of food. And I'm sure you're beginning to get the hair on the back of your neck starting to stand up because you are now just beginning to gain a glimpse into a reality about food that you never ever dreamed of now look uh, our creator he surely knew that in the future scientists could easily find ways to fulfill our body's needs through tablets or intravenous drips or infusions bypassing the fruit and the vegetables and the animals and the grains and the fish that he provided for us. No, he didn't do that. God didn't didn't speak in terms of developing condensed packages of dried food or tablets or, or concentrated liquids. No, because machines need fuel, human beings need much more than that. Human beings must eat. And although hardcore secular materialists will assume that food has no function other than being fuel to keep our bodies heated, providing us with energy, people who understand how the world really works know full well that there's much more to eating than just fuel. I mean... It is fuel, isn't it? I mean, after all, a meal for a human, you could say, is the equivalent of adding wood to our fireplace. After all, our body temperature must be maintained at about 98 degrees Fahrenheit. And just as a home furnace converts firewood or coal or oil or natural gas into heat, so our bodies convert the food into heat. Naturally, When we are famished, we feel cold, right? So that that all makes sense. I get that. But here's the big but. The big but is if food is just fuel, then why, my happy warriors, do we crave steak and fries today and eggplant parmesan tomorrow and spinach quiche the next day And that's not me, by the way. Real men do not eat quiche. That's all there is to it. But you get the point. The point is that if it was just fuel, we'd go ahead. You just eat whatever it is. We would just eat celery and peanut butter every day. After all, you don't fuel your fireplace with wood today, 
Coal tomorrow, natural gas the next day, just so should have some variety. Clearly something else is going on. Food is obviously far more than merely fuel. Now, how weird is it? Think about this. How weird is it that we absorb nutrition through the same facial orifice from which our voices emerge? I mean, generally speaking, dedicated functionality seems to be God's design. After all, we don't smell and hear through our ears. We smell through our noses and we listen through our ears. We, um, there is a, a very important exception which I've written on and spoken on in the past in which males differ from females, men are different from women, where men have an organ that is multi-purpose and, and women don't. Women have specific, uh, dedicated organs specific to each function. Uh, mouths are things that both men and women have through which we insert this food and this fuel, but it's a multi-purpose appliance. We eat with our mouths, but we also use them for speech. Now, I personally am not sure what biologists say is served by the mouth doing both, but I do know what ancient Jewish wisdom says about the mouth serving both as a fuel intake and as a vocal outlet. One obvious thing is, I'm sure, something if you stopped for a moment and thought about this, you'd probably come up with the idea that just as what we take into our bodies can be either healthy or harmful, you can take in wonderful, good-tasting, healthy foods, or you can take in toxic poisons. So the words that come out of our mouths can either heal or hurt. They're also of two different kinds. So that's one clear similarity between food and words, and both coming using the same mouth. Speech is a uniquely human function. Right? There are no animals that talk. No, John, Coco the gorilla does not actually talk. And um, animals don't talk, but human beings uniquely, of all the creatures on the planet, human beings speak. But eating is common to all creatures. Sharing that same orifice for both functions reminds us that in the same way that that mouth is used for a uniquely human function, speech, so we should also take care to eat in a uniquely human way, in a way that provides spiritual as well as physical nourishment. Now, your mother knew that just as well as my mother knew that, which is why all our mothers wouldn't be happy if we ate like animals. And I've told you the story. I mean, I, I walked around with marks of my mother's four fingers of her right hand on my face for about seven hours when I slurped my soup. And she said, stop doing that. And I said, why? She said, it sound, sounds like you're eating like an animal. And I said, well, what's wrong with that? I am, look, I was, I was an ignorant, stupid kid. Uh, I said, so there I am. You know, I was, I, I am an animal. Well, she came over and whap, uh, did she give it to me? And, uh, and it, it kind of made the point. I kind of got it. But I, cer I certainly saw how vehemently opposed she was to the idea that we eat like animals eat. And this is where this idea comes from. 
in the same way that speech, what goes out of our mouths is uniquely human, so what goes into our mouths should be dealt with in a uniquely human kind of a way. Manners are just the very basic, you know, good table manners is just the, the most basic part of that. So um, in, this, in this way, we, we like not to eat alone. Now, animals gobble food alone, but we like to eat in company. Uh, we like showing gratitude for our food by blessing God before eating, after eating. And I've, I've discussed this in Thought Tools. By the way, if you want to read previous Thought Tools about this, all you have to do is go to our website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Yeah, I know I said you need a rabbi earlier. Same thing brings you to the same place. And then go to Thought Tools and uh, do a search. We've got a great search engine on the website. And put in there food, and you'll, you'll find all the stuff I've written on food. But uh, today, in today's uh, program, I'll be telling you all that and a whole lot more. So uh, we do these things to distinguish the way we've, we, we eat. Um, we, uh, we, we, we bless, we eat with company. Now, there is, of course, the danger that we can think of ourselves to be nothing but sophisticated animals. We've spoken about that a lot. And that way we just completely forget that we've been touched by the finger of God. Now, that's a very common danger, right? That we just fall into this trap of thinking, you know what, we're just, you know, stop fooling yourself. What do you think you are? You really, you're just a, a hairless chimpanzee with a little more brain. No, the difference is not quantitative, it's qualitative. Uh, but others of us face the danger of thinking of ourselves as too spiritual, right? As if we're angels, and therefore we're, uh, we're spiritual beings fighting with our physical selves and, and rejecting the idea of our physical beings. Well, the dining room table can reveal the truth and provide a place where our true selves can shine where we are both physical and spiritual. We're eating, and yes, we are deriving physical sustenance. Yes, we are getting fuel, but in the process of eating, we're also deriving spiritual sustenance. And um, you'll see where we're moving towards understanding, as I'm going to show you, is that if you don't derive, if you haven't learned how to derive the spiritual part of satisfaction from food, then you won't feel satisfied and you keep on eating. We've just begun to touch on the pathology of overeating. Now think about this similarity between the two functions of the mouth, food and speech. Speech is how we convert the spirituality of the abstract thought in our souls into the physicality of vibrating air molecules that can travel across the room or to my microphone and come to your ear. So the mouth takes a completely abstract idea which exists only in a spiritual form in my heart and my mind and my brain and my soul, and it converts it into vibrating air molecules. Now, eating does the reverse. Eating converts the physicality of food into the molecules of nourishment that make possible for me to continue 
conceiving abstract thoughts and spiritual ideas and using that same mouth to convey them to you. So the mouth takes the physical world, converts it into strength for a spiritual being, and the mouth also takes the creations of that spiritual being and turns it into physical that the that everyone else in the world can hear. Now think of a baby, right? A baby forms its very first relationship with its mother through its mouth, right? You, you know, you can't discuss uh, the, 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 the writings of Plutarch with your baby. You feed the baby, and babies gain far more than merely nourishment when their mothers feed them. It's one of the reasons that a lot of people are very, very big on breastfeeding. And you can, you can see, they talk about the bonding that takes place between a mother and a baby during the breastfeeding process. When you hold the baby and put a, a bottle in its mouth, it's not exactly the same. It may be getting the same nourishment, but it's not getting the same spiritual bonding that's going on. This is, you know, this is one of the reasons many people do feel vehement about that. So if babies build up the special relationship through eating, it's no surprise, shouldn't be a surprise to us, that we adults also have a spiritual relationship with food. Most of us do have certain comfort foods that alter our moods. Uh, they bring about a feeling of security and deep contentment. Just think about your favorite food and how you feel when you transition from being ravishingly hungry, hungry, uh, to a state of deep contentment after having eaten a meal like that. You do develop a feeling of security and satisfaction and comfort and happiness. Um, and this is not unlike what a mother sees on a nursing baby's facial expressions. It's really, it's quite fascinating to watch, but you, but you can actually see the baby's facial expressions as it's nursing. It's easy to see that this is a very real connection between food and our spiritual condition. For this reason, when people tragically suffer from eating disorders, they need the attention of not just nutritionists, but psychiatrists. The patient is suffering spiritually. Uh, you know, just as an aside, I'll remind you, and if you're a regular listener to the show, you might remember me talking about this in shows long past. We drink alcohol as well, largely for spiritual purposes, to modify our moods. And that's why the wise monks of old used to refer to alcohol by its Latin term, spiritus, or as we might say today, spirits. Like so much else we take in through our mouths, the purpose of alcohol is not merely physical. We eat not only to be filled, but just as importantly, to be fulfilled. From which it follows that if we know nothing of the spiritual aspect of food, and we do not understand the spiritual satisfaction from eating, well, then spiritual satiation from food eludes us. The terrible result is that we keep on eating. We keep on eating and eating and eating, desperately seeking a feeling of fullness which never comes. Eating only for the physical assures that we don't stop 
once we have eaten as much as the body needs, because we have not extracted the spiritual nourishment that the soul needs. Sadly, we just keep eating and eating and eating and eating. But if we were able to extract the spiritual nourishment, our bodies would receive the message, enough, I'm fulfilled and filled. So there's a, there's a very interesting verse in Proverbs. And you know, I'm very cautious about drawing um, comprehensive lessons from one slogan or one verse. You've got to look at everything. But interestingly enough, this isn't the only time in, in Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23, and uh, for those of you using Rabbi Daniel Lappin's recommended Bible, and just go to our website and order it, will you? You'll find it's it's. I mean, it's it, it's a very very worthwhile investment. You're talking about something that uh, will stay in your family really for forever. Um, it's uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin's recommended Bible. You will find it on uh, our website at youneedarabbi.com. And uh, go to Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three. If you're already holding the Bible in your hands because you are lucky enough to have got it last week, then you would turn to page 2009. And there on page 2009, the Hebrew on the right, the English on the left. You want to hear what the Hebrew sounds like? Shomer piv uleshono, shomer mitzarot nafsho. And as good as any translation is, he who guards his mouth and his tongue finds that he's guarding himself from trouble. Now, the obvious question is, why would he have to guard? Why, why would Solomon say, guard your mouth and your tongue? You know, your tongue is in your mouth. Guard your mouth and, and you're done. And uh, ancient Jewish wisdom explains that this redundancy isn't a redundancy at all. Mouths and tongues may appear to be the same thing, but... Solomon very deliberately did not say, he who guards his mouth guards himself from trouble. It's he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards himself from trouble. Uh, Why? Because it is explaining that you have to guard yourself from both functions of your mouth. The food, how you eat your food, make sure you eat your food, not just physically, but also spiritually, and make sure that you, the speech you use your mouth for, the words and sentences that come out of your mouth are also guarded, and that you, you put out words that help and heal, not words that harm and hurt. And so uh, we have to watch mouths and tongues. And uh, interestingly, also, that um, this is also mentioned that Solomon's verse of God, your mouth and your tongue, speak both about your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. Speech is how we connect to other people, and we also use it to connect to God, but food is a gift from God. And so we've got to learn, and this, I think, is, is a useful thing. And I'm, I'm always trying to explain these things in a way that is okay, understandable, and persuasive for somebody who's not religious, because I'm very happy that there are many people who are not religious who listen to the show. I even know there's some people who proudly proclaim themselves as atheists, who literally do not miss a single one of these shows. 
And so I want to respect all listeners. And although nobody misunderstands where I'm coming from, at the same time, if I explain it exclusively in religious terms, it becomes difficult for an atheist to be able to fully understand and, uh, and, and absorb what is going on. So I, I want to say that eating is intrinsically holy. And it's a way of serving God. Isn't that interesting? Eating is not just serving us. It's a way of serving God as well. But the way I'd put it for a non-religious person or a non-Bible interested person is that I would say, look, uh, you don't have to be religious to know that you have a spiritual part of yourself. And you also know on this show you've been listening, you know when I say spiritual, I'm I'm not conflating the word spiritual with pious, religious, holy. No, spiritual means things that cannot be measured in a laboratory. And so that does include things like my relationship with God, but it also includes things like my my ability to speak, my fluency. It also has to do with my integrity. It has to do with uh, my uh, resilience. All of these things are spiritual qualities. And so... Uh, what I'm saying to all of you, regardless of your own belief system, is that eating puts you in touch not just with your body as a machine that needs fuel, but also the part of your body that desperately needs spiritual satisfaction as well. And so it is very often, and I've, I've explained this, and I, but I just want to really stress that it is well known This phenomenon is known to every doctor and every psychiatrist when people become upset and they feel confused and they feel uh, miserable. That emotional turbulence expresses itself in their relationship with food. It it does. This is a reality. Uh, You cannot miss how many different parts of psychological and spiritual maladies that people suffer express themselves in a strange or a distorted or a a, a bizarre relationship with food. There is a profound psychological, spiritual, emotional dimension to food and eating. And this should give us a powerful clue that eating is complex multifaceted, physical, and spiritual. It's almost as if mealtimes represent a constant struggle. I mean, as a matter of fact, one of the things taught in ancient Jewish wisdom is every single meal is a battle in which the two sides of us struggle for supremacy. This is one of the reasons that the most basic staple food we have, which is bread, um, means in Hebrew the word is lechem, and the word for battle is lochem. It sounds almost the same, and there's a very good reason for that. Because every time we break bread, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. And if you don't engage in that battle, well, then obviously you've granted victory to the physical side of you. And so obviously you're going to go ahead and overeat. Eating is a struggle. It's one of the many struggles that we wage against our lower selves. And, it's, and you find it every day of your life. You eat every day and, and that's what we do. 
right? Um, it's uh, it, when I when I say we're all happy warriors, what I speak about is the fact that every day we're engaged in a battle. We're engaged in a battle to achieve, to improve, and we're also engaged in a battle to make sure that our spiritual realities are eating as much as our physical realities are. It's interesting, uh, ancient Jewish wisdom has an expression that says, the blind eat, but are never satisfied. Now, apparently, there is a physical aspect to that. Uh, I found a magazine called Chemical Senses, and in July 2013, volume 38, there is a study uh, by Leah Gagnon called Reduced Taste Sensitivity in Congenital Blindness. Interesting, right? Because we all hear and know of the enhanced um, senses. People who don't see usually hear better and so on. Turns out that with uh, eating... Um, it's it's not so simple. However, that's not what ancient Jewish wisdom means. When it says the blind eat but are not satisfied, it's not talking about physical blindness. It's talking about spiritual blindness. And that means that if we are blind to the spiritual dimension of eating, we can never derive satisfaction from our food. Right? Well, that is exactly what we're talking about, Right? There are two dimensions to a person's eating, right? I just want to make this absolutely clear. Whether we know it consciously or not, whether you're aware of it or not, you all seek, we all seek, two things from the food we eat. Sustenance for our body and sustenance for our soul. Obviously, our body must get its nutrients, but our soul is also seeking nutrients. And amazingly, Food has the ability to provide nutrients, not just, for, just, not just for the body, but for the soul as well. And yes, it's true. The body needs vitamins and minerals and proteins and carbohydrates and fats and all these other things essential for the human body to function and repair itself and thrive. And it's true that all those things could be obtained from tablets. You know, we could all go to the local vitamin store and stock up with seven bottles and, you know, every day take one of these, two of these, four of those, seven of the other one. And on top of that, you can throw in a couple of vitamin Ds and a vitamin C and, and your body will probably be okay. Your soul will shrivel and die. You see, here is just one aspect of the spiritual component of food. Food provides real-life evidence of God's interest in us and love in us. That's what's going on. But there's a whole lot more we're going to come to. Let's try and delve into it. So if we, if we use food properly, it's providing these two benefits, right? Physical fuel for the body and spiritual sustenance as well. But needless to say, if anybody is oblivious to the spiritual dimension, then uh, he's, he's really losing out, losing out very, very badly. Um, we can make a distinction between being filled and fulfilled, as I said a little bit earlier, right? That we eat food and we get filled physically, but if we also know how to derive the spiritual 
satisfaction of food, then we are fulfilled. So you could say that we eat to be filled and fulfilled. And uh, you've got to ask yourself, which one is really the more important? Actually, only a small part of our eating is involved in nourishing the body. Most of the eating we do is not for the good of the body. It's actually not good for the body because we eat too much. But most of that eating we're doing is not to satisfy our body, but we're trying desperately to satisfy our souls. And so we begin to eat to nourish our bodies because we're hungry. But then if we continue eating, or more importantly, can't stop eating, it's because we've not been able to acquire the nourishment the spiritual nourishment that our soul craves. And the fact is that people will continue to eat until they have achieved either both or they literally have overeaten. And so easy to be filled, right? You don't need a lot of food to be filled. You really don't. Just ask, here's the time to ask a nutritionist, how much do you really need to stay healthy? You'll be shocked how much less it is than you eat. Now you know that the difference is what you're eating, not to be filled, but to be fulfilled, right? And most of us, um, you know, stop eating because before we've reached the state of being fulfilled, it's just because of the physical limitations of our bodies. I mean, we still want to eat because we're still seeking this fulfillment, but our bodies simply cannot hold any more. We're stuffed to capacity. And so we finish a meal like that feeling frustrated and a little unhealthy and not happy with ourselves. Okay, what we are trying to find, this emotional and spiritual fulfillment, we really are seeking God's presence in the food we eat. It's kind of an interesting point. In Deuteronomy um, chapter 8, verse 10, uh, and those of you who have gone to youneedarabbi.com and you've popped over to the store and you've taken a look at a terrific Bible called Rabbi Daniel Lappin's Recommended Bible. That's not its real name. It's got another name as well. But uh, it is the very first Bible I've ever wholeheartedly recommended. Uh, you'll find it on page 563, Deuteronomy 8.10, page 563, four lines up from the bottom. Uh, on the right-hand side of the page, you'll see the Hebrew. I know you don't read that, but I want you to hear it anyway. You, um, you shall eat and you shall be satisfied. What kind of satisfaction? Aha, that's the question. Then you must bless, and not then, pardon me, I put in a word that isn't there. And you shall bless the Lord your God on this good and spacious land which he has given to you. What's going on there? When you've eaten your fill, you've still got to give thanks to the Lord because that's part of making sure that you do extract the fullness. Do you get it? You shall eat and be satisfied and you shall bless God because then you're not stealing from him, right? You're thanking him for it. You Imagine somebody gives you something... You know what it's like? Have you ever seen people who don't say thank you to a waiter in a restaurant? Don't you hate that? Person, you, you're getting good food and you don't say thank you. So if you're not saying thanks to the Lord for food, 
either before or afterwards, then by definition, you are already depriving yourself of part of the spiritual benefit. Now, I'm not saying this is easy to do, by the way. Uh, There's a lovely expression in ancient Jewish wisdom uh, which says it's far easier to fast for God than it is to eat for God. Supposed to do both, right? Many people fast for God from time to time. And uh, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier than eating for God because that's the challenge. If we can successfully learn how to overcome this ultimate challenge of eating for God, then we are going to be doing our bodies a huge service by learning to be able to eat enough to be filled and fulfilled. And that's a whole lot less. You need far fewer calories than people who are eating just to be filled. Food is, in fact, a glorious opportunity to become close to God. How lovely is that? It's beautiful. Look, um, if we were King David, we wouldn't have any trouble with this. But we're not King David. We are ordinary, flawed human beings with all our accumulated mistakes and all our accumulated regrets. But um, uh, King David learned from his mother. And he actually reports and he says that it was with his mother's milk that he began to learn. That's the idea. And so um, uh, now, again, what if, if you don't know what to say, if you're wondering what is the best thing, if, you know, if, if you're not religious, but you, you nonetheless uh, want to try and come up with some kind of um, saying something that will help you eat mindfully of your spiritual reality, uh, one really nice thing is um, uh, Psalm 145, verse 16. It's only seven little words in Hebrew. And uh, in Rabbi Daniel Appen's recommended Bible, which you need to get, believe me, it'll be a family heirloom. Uh, and you will love seeing the graphical depiction of the Torah scroll on the right-hand side of the page. And uh, don't be surprised if the more we hang out together, don't be surprised if you, in fact, start picking up some Hebrew, because we are going to help you do that also. But for now, go to my Bible and there on page 1967, page 1967, is Psalms 145, verse 16. et You open your hands, right, speaking to God. But the reason I like this for everybody is because, again, if some of you are um, not Bible believers, you're not uh, inclined towards religion, then you don't want to say a prayer to God, right? Well, this just says, you open your hand and you bring food to every living creature. And that's so beautiful. So that's uh, something that could work for everybody. And so uh, um, what we've been talking about, actually, is exactly what King Solomon said specifically. You, I mean, this one you got to see, right? Go to my Bible and go to page 2149. And for those of you who don't yet possess Rabbi Daniel Lappin's recommended Bible, you go to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 6, verse 7. Listen to this. When a man works to feed only his physical mouth, his soul never becomes satisfied. There it is, my friends, you happy warriors. 
the great wise King Solomon said in one verse what I have been struggling for the last half hour to explain. And that is, when you feed only your physical mouth, your soul never becomes satisfied. Beautiful, beautiful verse. Ecclesiastes 6, 7, page 2149. So, um, regaining our spiritual relationship with food is the only way to curb our appetite. Once we're getting not only our proper physical nourishment, but also our spiritual nourishment, we're much more easily able to stop eating when our bodies have had enough. Obesity was never part of God's plan for our bodies. And honest to goodness, right? I know, you know, many of us, um, I know it's true for me, I feel embarrassed when I look at me in the mirror. I really do. And I think to myself, you know what? You've, you've been guilty of this. You're, you're eating, trying to satisfy yourself in a way that can never be satisfied because you're not absorbing enough of the spiritual. Because the more you derive of the spiritual, the less physical calories you have to take. Obesity was not part of God's plan for our bodies. But as society becomes ever more secular, and you know, I mean, let alone what's happened in the last year or two, but in general, I, as you know, I sort of time it from 1962, approximately, could be a few years either way. But uh, basically, in the last 60 years, American society, European society, many places around the world have become much, much, much less religious. One of the things I love about being in Africa, in, um, in many, many parts of Africa, and we have lots of listeners all the way from South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia, uh, all the way up, and uh, Kenya, we got listeners. Uh, and by the way, you folks, when you write to me, do remember to tell me where you're listening from. I love it. I love my map filling up. Um, Ghana, Nigeria, obviously. Uh, these places are becoming more and more religious over the last few years. Uh, Christianity is growing like crazy in Africa. And so uh, that that is one of the most interesting things happening in the world at the moment. But that's for another show. For now, we've just got to know that most of the world has gone less, less religious and more secular. As a result, our relationship with food has become worse and bad. Uh, for heaven's sake, how many television shows are there about food? Come on, folks. I mean, really? <laughs> is, is, is that, does that make sense? Yes, it does. If you're constantly trying to get satisfaction from food, but you've ruled out the spiritual avenue, you've made sure you'll never get satisfaction, but that doesn't stop you from keeping on trying. It's the same way with the appetite for sex I discussed. Again, we'll discuss that more fully at another time. But again, if you eliminate the spiritual content of sex, um, you become obsessively preoccupied with sex and the reason is you're seeking a satisfaction that simply never arrives so um let's look at just three tips with with, with this i'll bring us in for a landing and uh, this show a little bit shorter than usual we're going to come in under an hour for this show what do you say to that um three of ancient jewish wisdom secrets for healthy eating okay uh, obviously, they all focus on emphasizing the spiritual. Number one, try to avoid eating alone or in a rushed environment. Make eating a proper event, but never rushed. Don't eat with one eye on the clock. Make conversation an important part of your meal. Talk not only in between courses, but talk in between mouthfuls. Uh, 
here's an interesting thing. God made it impossible for our bodies to both eat and speak simultaneously. By the way, if you don't believe me, try that sometime. Do it alone because it's an ugly sight. But uh, try it. You'll see you can't swallow and talk at the same time. So uh, listen while you're eating and chewing and swallowing. Speak while other people are eating and chewing and swallowing. But uh, the more you do that, the more avenue you give for spiritual satisfaction to enter the entire meal process. Number two is, is pretty obvious and straightforward, and that is place smaller amounts on your spoon or fork. And the reason is not to fool yourself or anything. I don't believe in that. But place smaller amounts on your spoon or fork to enable you to savor each mouthful to extract the fullness of taste while concentrating on the miracles of a few inches of topsoil that make this possible, and a loving God who makes the process of fueling your machine so delightfully pleasurable. And above all, do not swallow inadequately chewed food, but savor it. While you're chewing, focus on the taste. And you can tell when people are gobbling down their food because they resemble certain animals that gobble down their food because animals are just satisfying a physical thing. But because God created animals differently from the way he created human beings, animals will stop eating when they've had enough. But with human beings, we'll only stop when we've reached being filled and fulfilled or else when we are so repugnantly and disgustingly stuffed that we can't eat anything else but what a shame it is to do that to our bodies and then finally number three begin and end each blessing each meal pardon me begin and end each meal uh, with a blessing of gratitude and appreciation uh, thank you for opening your hand with such abundance and providing enough sustenance for every living thing um, begin and end with 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 an expression of gratitude and appreciation, and I think that if you learn to bracket the eating process with these short statements or prayers, uh, they help to trigger the spiritual and emotional aspect of eating, which will telegraph the feeling of fullness to your body just as soon as your body's actually had enough, which will be long before. It used to keep eating until. I hope this all uh, helps you, and uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure it'll make sense to you. If it doesn't, uh, please just listen to it again, because there's a lot of stuff packed in here. But the basic idea is one that I think every happy warrior will enthusiastically embrace and adopt into their healthy lifestyle of good living. So all of that is uh, for your good and to improve your life so that all the five F's in your life can be even more satisfying and even more fulfilling. The website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Make sure that you are subscribed to Susan's Musings, which are always controversial. Ask the Rabbi. Always interesting, by the way. The current Ask the Rabbi was a fascinating one. Uh, it was from <coughs> Jennifer who makes much more money than her husband. And she wisely is aware of the problems that, and the pitfalls, as she put it, that this can bring. 
and she identifies some of them and some of the things she's trying to do in her family. And uh, Susan Lappin and I provided a very comprehensive and lengthy answer which identified a few things in her marriage that she didn't say. And then she wrote right back in one of the very first comments in the comment section after the Ask the Rabbi column is from her making some corrections. So I, I found it all very interesting. You will too. That's at rabbidaniellappin.com, the Ask the Rabbi page. and uh, Or you need a rabbi and then go to the Ask the Rabbi page. And then finally, make sure you stop by the store and uh, please... Pick yourself up a copy of Rabbi Daniel Lappin's recommended Bible. Uh, it's the Bible I will use as reference from here on outwards, but it's also a very beautiful thing to have on your bookshelf and a beautiful thing to use when you want to reference a Bible or when you want to study a verse. It's terrific. That's as far as we're going to go right now, my friends, bringing us in under the wire for an hour, like I told you, and uh, it is time for me to wish you a wonderful and filling and fulfilling week in your finances, in your faith, your friendships, your family, and your physical fitness. That's what this is about, because everything is linked together. Until next week, I'm your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.